Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Justine Vaughn of Long Beach, California. Justine will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Joshua Unruh, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories. These are their stories. Welcome to These Are The Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at The Mothership, Season 13, Episode 20, Kid Pro Quo. I met Harvey Ange, and he wouldn't have Scarpio do a favor for Rush unless there was something in it for him. Like getting his son into the Knoll School. Hatch and scratches, rushes back, rush, scratches, Schofields, and around and around we go. Until Deborah Landon found out where all the itches were. Joining me to do that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers on Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Little dab will do you, Kevin. And rounding out our panel is our special guest from the In the Gutter podcast. It's Joshua Unruh. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Before we get going, I think we have to acknowledge the passing of Richard Belzer. Oh. Uh, we will be doing a Munch-centric episode in the near future, but, um, you know, uh, I think we have to pour one out for uh, the actor and the character. character was on, I think, like eight or, tele- eight or ten other television shows. Yes. And um, he certainly uh, brought a different flavor to what could have been a very... Um, serious and uh, maybe not so fun kind of sex crime show. So Josh, In the Gutter is a publishing term, I believe, for comics? Uh, Yeah, it is. Um, The gutter is the space in between the panels Mm -hmm. on the comic book page. And uh, we decided to name the podcast that because um, I I maintained for a long time that comic books are just a completely unique you know, medium for storytelling. And one of the biggest ways that it's that unique is that the reader is actually doing most of the work. Yeah, right. You know, filling in those spaces. The most of what happens in the story happens in that gutter, you know, happens between the panels. Um, And when I described all that to my co-host, Lonnie Day and Rich, uh, she was like, well, I love that. And also we like it when we get to make kind of like half dirty eighth grade level humor (laughs) so between those two things we're in the gutter perfect perfect now did you like comics because of the art or because you didn't get enough hugs as a child (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I, you know, it all started so Ouch. early. I'm not sure we can blame it on any trauma. Like, <laughs> I I literally learned to read on superhero comics. Like, yeah. I got started real early um, with both superheroes and hugs. Now, I know that you are um, a fan of the show. Are there any parts of Law and Order that you think have aged well? Oh, no. Oh, absolutely not. Long ass pause, as is appropriate. Yeah, no, no. I I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine anything that's getting, you know, better in America's longest running copaganda series. No. Yeah, I I will say that I think that Elena (laughs) Delagarza aged pretty well, but maybe that's just me. You know what? You you got me. I was not thinking about personnel. That's on me. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, that's sexist and awful, but you're not wrong. So has Jill Hennessy, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, Chris Noth. No. No. Okay. Very good. Moving on. No, that that doesn't seem right at all. Josh, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. It has been a really long time (laughs) since I revisited Law and Order, but I do think that it's it's kind of and now I'm now that you said Chris Noth, I'm I'm blanking on his name on the show, but um, yes, yes, uh, when it was Logan and Briscoe, I mean, feels like the classic stuff for me personally. Yeah, that seems about right. Uh, certainly classic. Yeah, I mean, that's a classic pick, right? Absolutely. You're not the first one to pick it. So. I'd say it's like, what, no, 30% I'm sure. percent of our guests pick Logan and Briscoe? That's, yeah. If they're going to do the brisk, if they're doing the Law and Order side as opposed to SVU. I yeah. feel like 40% pick something with Briscoe in it, and it's either Logan or Briscoe and Green. Oh, shit. I feel like i got to make a pie chart now. No, you don't. You know what? Some some <laughs> listener will do that. Yeah. If we put out the call, there will be some listener who might do that. Go back and listen to 150 episodes. And they this. already have. And I'll be happy to live right there in that kind of uh, basic Butter? bitch <laughs> slice of pie right yeah, where right there yes yeah <laughs> yeah we've got like it's there's a big chunk which is like briscoe and logan there's a big chunk of B- briscoe and green of course benson and stabler and there's this one little slice which is chester lake <laughs> which is one person one person <laughs> and uh, josh who is your favorite prosecutorial team favorite line order district attorney prosecutorial team this is a controversial pick i'm gonna go with the team from this episode actually <gasps> mm-hmm. and sam waterston is terrific of course he's he's great um but his partner in crime or in solving and prosecuting crimes i should say here uh is an actress that i have loathed alongside lonnie <laughs> on her you know when i've got to guest peer on her uh on her uh podcast about angel the spinoff right. series from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I, I kind of love her here, right? Like everything that just made her kind of awful as the cop on uh, on Angel is it, it works at the DA's office. Seriously, this is the first Serena Sutherland pick we have ever had. I on don't the think show. so, but it? it's you. Yeah, it is. I will agree. It is a controversial choice. Um, is it um, is it June, f- formerly from Slate, who also June liked, Thomas, who also liked Serena, or is it because she was a? a no, a, it's June a, Thomas, uh, the author of a book about uh, lesbians and popular culture, who shits on uh, Serena Sutherland because, as she says. No, you're not a lesbian. <laughs> you never were a lesbian. Stop saying you're a lesbian. <laughs> she's a time uh, release time capsule lesbian. She's a, yeah, she's a time release capsule. <laughs> now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law and Order Season 13, Episode 20, Kid Pro Quo. 
Well, Briscoe and Green investigate the murder of Deborah Landon, found beaten to death on a park bench. And we found a walking stick at the scene covered with blood. The weapon? Forensics is working it up now. That must have been hers. You see that? Titanium. She'd had a hip replacement probably within the last year or so. Damn, she got beat to death with her own cane? That's cold. She'd also had an oophorectomy. She had her oophers removed? Dr. Landon was admissions director at the exclusive Knoll School, where the city's elite fight to get their kids into the Harvard of kindergartens. When snotty headmaster Wyatt Schofield rejects applicants, it's Landon who gets all the angry phone calls from parents. One threatening phone call comes from Marvin Waters, a black single dad transit worker. Dr. Landon promised to get his brilliant five-year-old daughter Casey into Knowles, but her application was later rejected by Schofield. Forensics finds blue cashmere fibers in Landon's cane, the same kind that seemed to be on the sweater the headmaster was wearing. Schofield says that the night of the murder, he went out for his regular walk, but Lenny and Ed learned that he went out again around midnight, around the same time the victim received a call from a payphone near the park. A scan of Landon's computer shows someone deleted her work emails after her murder. She'd been arguing with Schofield about admitting Cassie Waters. But who would have a master password to her account to delete their inbox? The detectives arrest the headmaster while he, of course, is wearing a tuxedo. Hmm. Okay, so in today's edition of Recreationists in the Park Discovering Bodies, we have a pair of tennis coaches bitching about giving lessons when they come across the victim on a park bench. Come on, man, I'm begging you. Put me out of my misery. No! Switch with me. I'll take to drinking and end up like this dude, sleeping it off on some park bench. It's a woman. Look at her hair. That's blood. And one of them is really put off and he announces... I don't know CPR. I don't know CPR. I don't think anyone was even asking you, Terry. <laughs> right. <laughs> why why are you like, I, I don't know CPR. Yet, one of them is like, I don't know, like Red Cross adjacent enough to check a pulse and like check for death in a way that I would never do. I don't know about you guys. Well, they are both sports coaches and arguing about who is going to be in charge of the kids. Why don't you know some CPR? Excuse me. Some basic first aid. I can see why they don't want to be in charge of the kids. There might be blood. That's right. We don't know what we're doing. They were very cash too upon realizing she was dead. Right. It was like, oh, too late. Like they were so cool. I would right. scream like a baby. Well, that's because it would have been your first walk in Central Park. It's not theirs. <laughs> it would not be my first, but it would be my first one discovering an actual dead body in an actual bench during the day. During the day, yes. <laughs> so I do have a friend who in real life discovered a deceased person like uh, in behind the wheel of the car what? and they were absolutely mind-blowingly shocked for, you know, a handful of seconds. Yeah. And then they were like, well, I guess I better call somebody. I can't just drive away, you know. So apparently that kind of like chillness will just, you know, reestablish well, itself yeah. once yeah, your yeah. brain realizes there's nothing for you to do. Yeah, so two people's days were ruined by that. Okay. <laughs> so Briscoe and Green are trying to ID the victim and they take her work phone to the school. And there's this administrator who says, oh, yeah, this is Dr. Landon's phone. And Briscoe pulls out a Polaroid of her on the gurney and says, is this Dr. Landon? Is this Dr. Landon? <laughs> the unencumbered ease of which they show photos of dead people to their friends. Yes. Yeah. How else would they do it, though? I know. It's kind of like, have you seen this cat? It just, <laughs> think it'd be a but little it, more. I mean, it, it feels like one sentence, like, I I'm going to show you something shocking. 
I mean, it feels like just a little bit, just a, a an olive branch of humanity there for a second. Okay, would be just a, a brace yourself. Right. Would you like to see this bashed in head? There is, there is, <laughs> there is more caution used when throwing out a dick pic. Listen, than that. but how many times in the show have we seen? How's that for a stiff? <laughs> how many times in the show have we seen? We need someone in the family to identify the body. And at this yeah, time, it's like here, the school secretary school who just secretary. takes like attendance, like like parents calling, my son has the flu today. Hey, want to identify this body? No regard at mm. all for protocol. So at the victim's home, they discovered a playbill for La Boheme. She was an opera lover, La Boheme. You don't have to love opera to love La Boheme. It's a Broadway play, bro. At a hundred bucks a pop, on a teacher's pay? Any idea why Green might speak so fondly of La Boheme? Was he in La Boheme, the Broadway production, Jesse L. Martin? Well, Jesse L. Martin originated the role of Tom Collins in Rent. Yes. Which is based on La Boheme. La Vie Boheme, if you will. I gotta say, you know he loved that role so much that he let Green get shot just so he could miss a couple of episodes and do the movie. Really? Yeah. Like how many episodes? Like five hundred. I think it was like four episodes, six hundred minutes worth oh, of episodes. Jesus H Christ! I walked right into that one. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not going to say that that isn't commitment, but it's not quite the same commitment as actually taking a bullet so you could go do. Yeah. Your show. I mean, <laughs> exactly. that would be the next uh, next level. He's, he's no Jesse Smollett, but you know. <laughs> so the detectives start questioning these angry parents whose kids didn't get into Knowles, right? And Chloe's mom explains why it is so important for this poor little rich girl to get into the right kindergarten. It's only kindergarten. It's not just kindergarten. It's the rest of her life. The right prep school leads to the right college, the right job, the right career, the right husband. It's, it's a carefully calibrated ladder. She might as well go directly to the stripper pole. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be jerking off John's two at a time at the country club and employee entrance, <laughs> Jesus right? Jesus Christ, Kevin. You don't need Chloe to go that far. Jesus Christ, way to take it down a couple notches. If you can't get into Knowles, you know. <laughs> I was going to try and stay with the stripper side and just be like, well, at least at least there's apparently a high rent stripper spot that uh, Briscoe knows about, the Purgatorio. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you Sunday evening, Mr. Schofield? At home. Alone? Just me and Dante. Dante? Alighieri. Purgatorio? Isn't that a strip club in Queens? I get to spend all day with him. Chloe, by the way, <laughs> is a fucking asshole. Yeah. Little Chloe. Oh, yeah. Little Chloe is having a birthday party that is catered. Do we look like clowns? Uh, don't answer that. Sweetie, we don't work for your daddy. Everybody works for my daddy. It does me sex. And little Chloe walks into the room like she's in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Fucking Violet Beauregarding her way. My daddy owns all of you! <laughs> right into the goddamn room. Yo, Oompa Loompas. <laughs> Chloe is an asshole and deserves to move to fucking Connecticut or wherever her parents are taking her and get beaten up by all the lacrosse kids on day one because that girl is a fucking asshole. Uh, my husband and I were looking for a house in Greenwich. Well, no point in staying in the city humiliated. Humiliated? Well, everybody knows that Chloe didn't get into Knowles, so... They have to go someplace else and start over. Yeah, because now they have to apparently leave Manhattan. In shame. In shame. That but, we're going to have to move to Tallahassee where they don't even have schools. I just want to say something. I'm thinking like a mom who may have been competitive at one point in my life about my kids getting into shit. You just don't tell people you applied to that shit. Easy solution. I, I think you're misreading 
the level of petty (laughs) that Chloe's mom lives at. She wanted to brag about getting into the school before, during, and after. If it had only been during and after, it's not good enough. Not enough. How many blue cashmere sweater does she own? Seriously. Uh, Not enough. (laughs) So when they meet Cassie Waters, is this the other girl who didn't get in? Uh, She asked her daddy... If she can go watch SpongeBob SquarePants. Why don't you go play now, okay? Can I watch SpongeBob? Okay. Brilliant, I doubt it. Apparently, <laughs> you're such a Patrick. <laughs> we have a couple of Hey, It's That Guys. Hey, it's that guy. What's the name of the actor playing Headmaster Wyatt Schofield? Oh, you mean Discount Kyle McLaughlin? Yes, Discount Cl- <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin. Admissions makes teaching kindergarten look like a day at the beach. The parents can be rather zealous, shall we say, in pursuit of their girls. Uh, that is the late Roger Rees, primetime Emmy nominee for Nicholas Nickleby. He won a Tony Award for that role, too. He had recurring roles on Cheers and Mantis and The West Wing and Rebecca. He was the sexy substitute teacher in that episode of My So-Called Life. Wait, which episode? The one where the sexy substitute teacher comes in and Claire Danes wants to, like, now run off to be with Mr. Dead Poet Society. Really? You don't remember that? Nope. Josh remembers that. Uh, sadly, I think I do. I remember, this, uh-huh. I remember the series very well, but it was he, like, the fake Dead Poet Society that was, like, the faux Dead Poet Society yeah. episode? Oh, yeah, I remember that one. And just to betray my own influences, which... Which one of those names did I glom onto? Mantis. Mantis. (laughs) An extremely low-rent superhero-ish show. Goodness, what a thing. When he started in the theater, he had a bit role in Julius Caesar, and he would die very early on in the show, and he said he would just fall asleep on the stage until the curtain call. Wow. Yeah, he also played Prince Charles in the TV movie Charles and Diana, Unhappily Ever After. Yes, he wants to be where your tampon is. Ew. Ew, oh. ew, 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 ew. It's a real thing. It's Look it up. very romantic. Very romantic. <laughs> uh, can you tell us the actor playing Harvey Manchin, pornographer extraordinaire? I have all my licenses. I have my financials filed with the Secretary of State. And most important, I know the First Amendment backwards and forwards. Um, I know. No, I don't know his name. But I know he has a famous dad, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, you've got me beat. Okay, that is Josh Mostel, son of the famous Zero Mostel. From, he was in The Producers and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. By the way, Zero Mostel once drank so much coffee he was hospitalized for caffeine poisoning. Shut the fuck up. I didn't know that was a thing. I know that was a thing either. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> there he goes. Uh, that, Josh, is best known as playing show-stealing King Herod in the movie Jesus Christ Superstar, which I called Hippies in the Desert with Random Jet Fighters Overhead. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in City Slickers playing one of the brothers who made ice cream and who could pair, you know, any meal with any flavor of ice cream, pissing off Billy Crystal. One of his first roles was as Wally the Bus Driver in the 1970s educational film And then it happened. Wow. The lesson was that when kids get on the bus, they need to sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up. Because during the film, the bus crashes because the driver was distracted by what the passengers were doing, which included on this one bus, smoking, having a bad LSD trip, sneaking a border collie on the bus, and then there's a knife fight. 
Wow. And then sort of has this sort of dramatic wrap up where like as the bus is like rolling over and all the actors are just kind of flopping around, the actor, the narrator comes on to explain what happened. Had Dwayne not grabbed Chuck's radio, had Bernadette not been uptight, had Kathy not brought the giant flower on the bus, had Bill not been so eager to fight, had the passengers made less noise, Wally would have heard the siren. And all this could have been avoided. Now, I don't know how Kathy's giant flower contributed to this fatal accident, but I think we can all agree that Bernadette should not have been uptight. What the fuck kind of tangent are we on right now? This is wild. That is like Fury Road, not a trip to school. My God. Wild. Can you tell me the actor playing recurring character CSU tech Jillian Beck? This was the guy who got skewered on the witness stand. It's possible. I suppose. Or maybe somebody else is wearing Mr. Schofield's sweater. That's John Cariani, 28 Law & Order franchise appearances. Tony nominee for his role as uh, Moidel in the revival of Fiddler on the Roof. Love the Broadway people. If he were a rich man, he'd have a bigger role in the crime tech. Okay. <laughs> for outstanding musical performance, he won a daytime Emmy. Good for him. Which we can all agree are the trash Emmys. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. They, they shouldn't, shouldn't be. be. But. They they are. It's bullshit that they separate the Emmys out. It should. It's bullshit. Well, you know, it's because then no one would win at the regular Emmys except for all these soap stars. Did the man playing the victim's secret lover, Dr. Freeman, look familiar? He did. Maybe Deborah was in a vulnerable state after her accident. Maybe I took advantage of that, but we both knew it wasn't going anywhere. All right, Rebecca, tell me. Speaking of daytime Emmys, that was Steven Schnetzer, who, by the way, transcends daytime. He was an iconic soap actor, is. Yeah. Uh, he played Cass Winthrop on Another World for years. Such an iconic character that when Another World was canceled, even though that was an NBC soap opera, he went on to play the same character on a CBS soap opera as the world turns for years. So he was like the Richard Belzer yes. of soap opera. That is spectacular. Do you want to hear a fun fact? He guest starred yes, in a few episodes of Homeland he was in that for a few episodes playing a doctor named Cass Winthrop. Oh, my God. They gave him the same fucking name. He is an iconic actor from daytime, but, like, he's such a great actor that, like, people are huge fans of his. And, like, he was such a good actor on those soaps that, like, I guess whoever wrote that character from Homeland was like, we're going to give you the same fucking name. He's the Richard Belzer of daytime. Lonnie and I have discussed all, a lot how... There's a lot of like DNA share between soap opera and superhero comics. And that is a hundred percent like a here's a character that's just like that other character, but the other character is owned by that other company. So we changed it by one letter and made the cape yellow instead of red. Totally different though. Trust us. And then we read them for 50 years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dr. Octopi. Were you able to pick out the uh, guy playing Terry, the tennis coach, who just doesn't have time for CPR? <laughs> little snots came and gripped the little rackets. Puny serves and the teeny tiny attention spans. That's Albert Jones. Among his roles, he was the pioneering black FBI profiler Jim Barney in Mindhunter. Huh. And he was also Aretha Franklin's longtime boyfriend, Ken Cunningham, in Respect. Hmm. Take care, TCB. Right. I was thinking of the other one. You were thinking. <laughs> well, we have a bunch of repeat offenders. Repeat offender. We've got Glennis Bell as the old admissions director. To tell you the truth, 
I don't think she was entirely happy. She missed teaching. She was the victim on our episode about criminal intents uh, for us. That she was playing America's most famous atheist. Yep. Which apparently was a thing. Emmy nominee Jeffrey DeMunn is defense attorney Rothenberger. He was briefly Cabot's boss. Your Honor, the defendant has limited financial resources. And he's been playing Chuck Sr. on Showtime's Billions. And we also see again Daniel Oreskes. This is the way the world works. Maybe it's not right, maybe it's not fair, but there's nothing illegal about it. Uh, he is the apartment building owner. He was Stabler's boss, Lieutenant Monig, on organized crime. Okay, lastly, do you recognize the jury foreman? No! Who would? <laughs> Who would? <laughs> on the count of murder in the second degree, we find the defendant guilty. Uh, that's Darren DePaul. He hadn't been on TV for 10 years before landing this role, but then he took off as a voice actor in the uh, cartoon Legion of Superheroes. He is Brainiac and Solomon Grundy. Uh, he's also been the Hulk, Lex Luthor, and Franklin D. Roosevelt for some reason. In one of those superhero cartoons. Uh, are you familiar with any of these characters, Is this Josh? Solomon Grundy soup, Stupid Superman? No. Well, uh, st- <laughs> stupid <laughs> Superman is Bizarro. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah no. Uh, Solomon Grundy is a swamp zombie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, from the from the poem, they named him from the poem Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday. Like, that's all he ever says while he's, you know, beating people into the ground like a penny nail. Oh, gotcha. Solomon, I just remember some like big oaf saying Solomon Grundy. That's all you I remember know. correctly. Okay. That is yeah. exactly from, from like yes. The super, from like the Super Friends. Like if yep, did Superman fight it. him at some yeah, point, maybe that's why I remember. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Darren is also in The Last of Us. Uh, not the HBO show, but the video game it was based on because apparently Hollywood has run out of podcasts to copy. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> so the detectives learned that you can't buy your way into the school, but you do get consideration if you are a legacy. Legacies. I wish I had a legacy. It's like affirmative action for white folks. Ain't that how George W. got into Yale because his daddy went there? Which Green refers to as affirmative action for white people. <laughs> and he is not wrong. Nope. Next question. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. Uh, t- uh, no notes. That is correct. Hey, Kevin, um, how did you get on this podcast? Uh, my dad had a podcast. I don't know. Because your wife has a podcast. No, I'm just kidding. No, but he's not. 100- Wait a minute. This is my podcast. You're the legacy. Correct. He's 100% not wrong. <laughs> so Marvin Waters suspects it was the headmaster who kept his black daughter out of the school. So the detectives confront Schofield about that. He says, we have a number of diversity students. Whoa. <laughs> we have a number of minority students, Detective. We're committed to diversity if the students are qualified. You know, that's the trouble with affirmative action. It paints them all with the same brush. Them, minority students. It stigmatizes them. No one takes them seriously. Oh, she got in because she was black or Latino or uh, whatever. And then Green looks around at the kids in the hallway and he wants to shoot this motherfucker. Yes. Uh, Schofield, Field, Feld, a lot of different pronunciations here, um, definitely has one of the worst couple minutes of dialogue I have ever heard on this show with regard to race. And that is saying something. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I have to tell you, this episode was spectacular in that it made me hate rich people more than the cops, ah. which I was not expecting. And this wow. guy wasn't even rich. Right. He's worse. He's like a pilot fish around rich people just nibbling off of them. Yikes. Schofield says that at night he likes to go out for a constitutional. Correct. Which I I always thought was rich person speak for taking a shit. No, why did you think that? 
That's no. what I thought too. Okay. Why? So, well, we're not rich, but apparently you are. No, a constitutional is a walk. Ablutions is washing, and a shit is shitting. What is the matter with rich you people, people? Don't shit. <laughs> rich people don't. As shit. Briscoe says, do you not watch Masterpiece Theater? What is the matter? Nobody with you shits on Masterpiece Theater. That's correct. Although we can shit on, on Masterpiece Dowden Theater. On Downton Abbey, but- <laughs> they go for a constitutional, which is walking. It's walking. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not buying. I, I don't know how it happened, but something. <laughs> There's a shared experience here. You know I, I would was? love to know. You know what it was? Is that your boomer dads would use constitutional as a metaphor for pooping? That's what it was. They did that to you. They did that to you. So it's kind of a legacy. <laughs> it's a legacy. All right. Yeah. So they talked to the uh, the computer tech about retrieving Landon's deleted emails. Can you get it back, detective? You know, I never met a hard drive I can't lick. Are they just trying to like? Mess around with the network sensors and just see how far they can go. Yes. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know I like to use their interface. (laughs) I'd like to put my one in your zero. (laughs) Can you hand me your dongle? (laughs) How about you, SB? Like, it's like the least sexy joke ever, right? Yeah. It's not sexy in any way. They're just trying to be sexy in like a very unsexy way. You know, I want more RAM. (laughs) (laughs) I'm binary curious. (laughs) BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Wyatt Schofield, Ph.D., is arraigned for the murder of Deborah Landon, Ph.D. Her email indicates that she was threatening to go to your board about something you did. You thought your job was in jeopardy. She was upset I overruled one of her admissions decisions. I've been at the Knoll School for 25 years. Dr. Landon taught kindergarten before she was promoted. His lawyer tells McCoy that Schofield didn't need to kill Landon when he could have just fired her. Ripening green banana lesbian Serena Sutherland (laughs) learns that Cassie Waters' slot in the school was taken by the son of Harvey Anchin, world-famous pornographer. Anchin's friends include Freddie Scarpio, mobster, and concrete dealer, a guy who also knows how to get things hard. But um, bump. Jack learns Schofield's apartment was going co-op, and he was able to purchase his place for a reduced cost. The building developer was able to lower his construction costs when Scarpio dropped his prices. McCoy and Sutherland put it all together. If Schofield admitted Anchin's son, the concrete dealer would reduce the developer's costs, would in turn get the headmaster that apartment. Landon was willing to expose the quid pro quo over this admissions fight. On the stands, Gofeld says this kind of deal is how things get done in the upper crusty world of Manhattan. But McCoy points out that Schofield isn't really part of that upper crusty world. They look down on you. 
She was beneath you. She stood in your way. Did you order the code red on Santiago? You're damn right I did. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Objection withdrawn. <laughs> the jury finds Schofield guilty and he's taken off to jail where he will again be headmaster. Oh. Ooh. Who doesn't like a good prison joke? So Schofield's <laughs> attorney wishes to make a point to McCoy that his case is incomplete. And he says, Look, you can have all the sugar in the world, Jack. You can have all the chocolate. You can have all the icing. But if you don't have the yeast, you ain't baking a cake. You're not because you don't put yeast in a cake. <laughs> That's true. You put in baking soda. Unbelievable. As yeah. like, you know, as a baker, you're a hell of a lawyer. <laughs> that is yeah. very true. It's almost like they hadn't lived through the pandemic yet and didn't know how baking worked. <laughs> yeah. Sir, what you are making is pizza dough. <laughs> you can have your sugar, you can have your turmeric, but you can't have your sourdough starter. What? All right, so Kevin, I have a, like a legitimate question for you. Yeah. You don't know how to do anything domestic. How did you even write that joke? Google. All right. <laughs> but how did you know to Google exactly. to write that That's joke? actually my question. All right, I wasn't the first to spot. It. Oh, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. As opposed, as opposed to me, who sat bolt upright in my empty house and went, "Excuse me, sir. <laughs> what kind of cake are you making?" <laughs> Not a very good one. Uh, McCoy and Sutherland are talking the case over with Branch, and he says, "Well, it won't be the first time I've tried a case on circumstantial evidence alone." And that's why the Innocence Project has a voodoo doll with your name on. That's it. right. <laughs> Absolutely. That's just that's the quiet part. Stop saying the quiet part loud. Yeah, it makes it hard for us to ignore it. Damn. I love the idea of the Innocence Project with a voodoo doll of Jack McCoy with its head just like shaking, shaking all the time. Uh, that's why they shake it. Uh. <laughs> Maybe that's why his head shakes in court because there's like someone like whacking you, it back and forth. Sir. Stop it. I'll ask the questions here. <laughs> but when they talk about all these rich people going to school and no one is pointing out that Branch went to school on a tree stump. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is when Jack McCoy talks about like how he had no advantages. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you are white, you are white, <laughs> and you are white, and I bet you had no fucking school debt. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it was the funniest. He's like, My mom shoved a box of Crayolas in my pocket, peanut butter and jelly sandwich in my lunchbox, and sent me on my way. I had no advantages. <laughs> crayons in my pocket. Let me tell you what, your mother did not put crayons in your pocket because she knew they'd wind up in the dryer. This story does not pass right. the sniff test. Do you know you had the 64 pack with the fucking sharpener in the back? You were fine. <laughs> yeah. You were just fine. <laughs> it did seem like there were different characters just like competing for most tone death take in this episode. <laughs> Exactly. Arthur Branch was like, my plantation was like the <laughs> slaves had been emancipated by the time I grew up. I had no advantages. <laughs> but they were treated well. When my uh. granddaddy was alive, he was the nice plantation owner. He had no advantages. No advantages. <laughs> there were a lot of legacies in that one, though. Yeah. <laughs> Serena looks into who got uh, Cassie's place. And the new admissions counselor says, Last child accepted was Jared Anshin. This letter went out the same day as Cassie Waters. Anshin, I know that name. 
Why wouldn't you be proud of it? Jared's dad is Harvey Anshin. You mean... That's right. The Prince of Porn. And now we know why you know that name. Because you're into porn! Yeah. But what kind? It's Harvey Anshin, king of the girl-on-girl pornography. <laughs> with such classic <laughs> titles as Beaver and Butt Cheeks, Cliffbanger, and Poltergash. Oh. I don't think that that's the kind of lesbian porn that this fellow was making, though. Was it just me, or did I want the porn empire to be a much bigger part of the plot for some reason? Same. Yeah. Also, porn can't be shot in New York, so you know he wasn't making it in New York. Yeah, we're not getting into, like, actual facts? legal facts. Yeah. <laughs> no, apparently he just, like, has cocktail parties. You know who that is? It's Jack Mayberry. He's the CEO of Oxford Electric, and that fat guy, that's Boyd Carson. He's on the board of MacArthur's International. And the good-looking gentleman... It's uh, Freddie Scarpio of Scarpio Cement and Plumbing. They all invested in my movie. Their clean money goes into my bank accounts, and suddenly it's untouchable by decent folk. Let me show you all my money laundering friends <laughs> that are involved in the homicide conspiracy that you're here to check out. Who have to be in my house? Okay, so I know a little bit about social circles. Yeah. Even if they're like money in bed with that guy, they would not be in person in that guy's house. A hundred percent no. Oh, that was the offices of Three Circles Studio. <laughs> Would they be going to an office cocktail party at Three Circles Studio? I, I have to I have to join you in being shocked that the, the pornographer might as well have just handed her the ball of yarn she needed to connect their pictures <laughs> on the wall back at yeah. the office. Yeah. And here are the thumbtacks. <laughs> Speaking of Homeland. You yeah. know, I'll just do it for you. I got it. I, I, yeah. It's arts and crafts. You know, I got you. <laughs> At trial, the defense's tactic is to shift blame for the homicide to Marvin Waters. A black child doesn't get into a prestigious institution. It has to be something underhanded that kept her out? In this case, yes. Because she's entitled to this expensive education? As much as anyone else. Really? Well, then what about the white kid? Who would be turned down if your daughter were accepted. He's an angry black man whose daughter didn't get in. So it's reverse discriminator guy. I don't know. Something like that. As as defenses go, it feels like it's his hat in the ring for most tone deaf take. Like, yes. uh, I don't have a your evidence is largely garbage. Um, I don't really have much of a defense other than your evidence is garbage. But Thanks for making me aware of the angry black man. Yes. It's not. Yikes. Where were you? Were you one of the were you one of the Central Park Five, sir? Like it was very bad. It was a very, very, very bad take. Did <laughs> not I, like it. I bet you let your daughter watch SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> you monster. Water says that his daughter is now at PS197, <gasps> where they have so few textbooks the students have to share them. Are we supposed to feel bad for Cassie or feel bad for the rest of the students at that school? All of them. All of them. All of them. Yeah. The the consistent undermining of whatever their own point was in this episode. <laughs> like schools are bad. Private schools are bad. Public schools are also bad. Correct. Rich people suck. Rich, sleazy people are worse. It's just like we know. We actually know all this. Yeah. Which headlines did you rip this from? That's, All of the headlines. That's the whole thing. We're supposed to feel <laughs> shitty when the rich people want, are like, oh, God, my child will have to attend public school. You're like, fuck you. Your kid will be fine if they attend public school. And then when the black guy says, my child will attend public school, we're supposed to be like, oh, no, your child will have to attend public school. That being said, we do know the quality 
of the public schools are probably very disparate from where, you know, he lives versus where fucking Cassie or Chloe or whatever lives, right? You know, speaking of PS 197, that actually sounds like the school to which the aforementioned bus ride was headed. (laughs) <laughs> when everybody was uptight and the giant flower caused some kind of deathly crash. Correct. Obviously, that was a PS-197 school bus. Bernadette. <laughs> I can tell that the principal at PS-197 doesn't have a blue cashmere sweater. Probably not. Which, by the way, Josh, think about this. You killed an employee wearing a blue cashmere sweater, and then you wear that same sweater to school... The next day. Uh, I mean, not exactly a criminal mastermind, no. obviously. Did not spend his constitutional listening to crime podcasts. Yeah. Well, we know he does have one important element to his wardrobe. Anshin was told that Knowles is not some auction where the spot goes to the highest bidder. But when they arrest Schofield... have $7,000 from Avery Harmon. Do I hear 7500 He was literally running an auction wearing a tuxedo. <laughs> I mean, how more on the nose can you get? It's true. It's true. Yeah. They're all like, well, at the public school, they each have to share a textbook. <laughs> and at uh, Knowles, you're like, if it were not for this auction, all of the students would have to share a teacher. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Well, now let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode is inspired by the controversy around business tycoon Sandy Wilde, the former chairman of Citigroup. Wile was also on the board of AT&T in 1999 when it was rolling out its wireless business. Wile asked Jack Grubman, a financial analyst at one of Citigroup's subsidiaries, to take a fresh look at AT&T's stock. Grubman upgraded his long-time position from hold to a recommendation for investors to buy. In exchange, Wile agreed to help get Grubman's twin daughters into the ultra-exclusive nursery school at the 92nd Street Y. Citigroup even made a $1 million donation to the school. Grubman's improved stock rating provided a huge influx of capital for AT&T and a lucrative underwriting contract for Citigroup. Regulators looking for conflicts of interest between the companies came across an email from Grubman bragging about what he'd done. Investors who bought AT&T lost big when the propped-up stock price fell. For publishing misleading research, Jack Grubman paid a $15 million fine and was barred from practising as an analyst. 
Sandy Wilde received a slap on the wrist. So the New York Times reported accurately that the whole thing was, quote, a normal, if somewhat distasteful part of life in New York. I got to ask, is getting into an elite nursery school so important when the kid is going there to just eat paste? Yes, because it'll get you a good husband someday, as we learn. That's that's exactly it. It's very important that you eat the right kind of paste at the right kind of address so that you can marry the right man. Chloe's going to be fine, you guys. Chloe's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, it is, I you know, I think primarily about the parents, but I mean, does a child like really going to be on this conveyor belt that they're not going to be accepted at the right places when they have parents that have that kind of money? They obviously have other kinds of influence and other kinds of opportunities, right? So we, you watch Fleischman's in Trouble, right? Yeah. The 92nd Street Y. Is That's like 92nd Street Y, yes. Uh, featured prominently in that show. Here's the thing. I used to host a parenting podcast. Yep. And predominantly, because it was for Slate, a lot of our questions came in from parents in Brooklyn and Manhattan. They all believed that one thing that they did or happened to their kid would change the rest of their child's lives. It is impossible if you don't live in the bubble of a place like New York to imagine that kind of thinking. But that kind of thinking predominates, predominates parents who live in places like that. It's wild. It's wild. What's happening out there is wild. You would not believe it. Mm, It's wild, Josh. What do you think about spending 20,000, I don't know, whatever. 40, 40, 40, 50, 60. Oh, that's right, because it was like 20 grand for the kindergarten. It's not yeah. 20 anymore. It's like 40, 50, 60 now. It's wild. Yeah, I cannot imagine it. I mean, I, I'm i going to try and wait to spend that money on my kid's PhD. Yeah, you should do it then. Do it then. Yeah, that seems, you know, I can get I can get them educated for more or less free right now. Let's wait until, a, you know, at least there's an advanced degree in it for them. Yeah, and Sandy Weil, or I should say that Citibank, at the direction of Sandy Weil, Donated a million dollars to the nursery school, but a million dollars is nothing. After a $100 million gift, Cornell changed the name of its medical school to the Joan and Sanford Weill Medical College and Graduate School of Medical Sciences of Cornell University. Jesus Christ. So again, merit trumps money. All right, because we were talking about I had to look it up. The Dalton School, which is another prestigious school in the Mm -hmm. Upper East Side, New York. The 22 to 23 school year this is a K through 12 school. Mm-hmm. The tuition for 2022 to 2023, the K through 12 was $57,970 a year. Oh, wow. That's before scholarships. Right? 60 for kindergarten. Grand. And all those kids now are just smoking meth. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, those kids are going to be okay. Well, they're going to yeah. marry well. Kids that didn't make it in there down on the corner it's all mess they gotta move for the humiliation they gotta move (laughs) they're gonna be jerking off john's two at a time yeah (laughs) let's blue let's blue collar up this prestigious kindergarten story yeah like jamie diamond won't sue us but like the concrete and porn people they don't exist they don't get sued because there's a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode, it says <laughs> That's right. it's fictional. Okay. On that black screen. So Citigroup was charged with helping in the accounting fraud that took down WorldCom as well. Grubman did a similar thing. He pumped up their stock, even though it was a dog. Citigroup paid a $3 billion fine. 
And then 12,000 WorldCom employees lost their jobs and their 401ks, all that. So there was a victim settlement fund of $6 billion. But, you know, there were actually $43 billion in claims. So there was some money for some of the victims. Ten years later, Sandy Weil received more than $2 million from that settlement fund, claiming he was a victim of the financial disaster he helped create. I, I, I just hear hammers, nails. It sounds like guillotines being built. I yeah. just don't. There's no other answer. He cashed the check and then he twirled his mustache, got in his rocket and flew off to his own private planet with Jeffrey Epstein. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Joshua Unruh. Josh, where can our listeners follow you online? Well, I I spend less time online than I used to. So you can mostly follow me through my author website, uh, which is uh, joshuaunruh.com, J-O-S-H-U-A. UNRUH.com and my podcasting adventures with Chipperish Media on In the Gutter, wherever fine podcasts can be found. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Well, if they want to talk to me about this one moment in the episode we didn't discuss, which was having her oofer removed, you can find me at Reb Lavoy on all the social media. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy, Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.